have I got a tale to tell you. It's one of false imprisonment, battery, medical negligence, fraudulent billing, a wrongful death claim for intentionally inflicting emotional distress in causing death, and Maya Kowalski's claim that infliction of emotional distress was caused by John Hopkins University. And that hospital will pay the Kowalskis $211 million in a recent settlement. The jury decided also that the family would receive an additional $50 million in punitive damages for false imprisonment and battery. In total, they were awarded over $260 million. How did this all happen? Well, at the age of 10, Maya was rushed to the hospital for chronic pain. Only days into her stay, the hospital doctors had removed Maya from the care of her parents. Why, you might ask? Well, her formal diagnosis was Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The state quickly issued what is known as a shelter order, and it directed that Maya be kept in the hospital and forbade her parents to see her. Jack, her father, was on the floor cleaning up feces because Maya was no longer able to control her bowels. And the hospital told him, you have to leave now, your daughter is in state custody. Her father remembers walking out of the hospital that day as Maya sat up in bed screaming for her father. Maya's mother also later found out and then fought to retain custody, but the hospital, who was now making every decision for the child, made things even harder and doubled down on the parents. Confronted with the accusation of child abuse and traumatized by the hospital, Maya's mother took her own life. It can well be argued that Maya's mother was sick. After all, who would take their own life instead of continuing to fight for their daughter under those circumstances? But we don't know what we would do. What we can say is this. If she is crazy, then the people that helped... What we can say is this. If the mother is unwell, well, then the people that helped drive her toward that decision are even worse. If the hospital can wrongly diagnose a child, remove the child from the custody of her parents, and refuse to let the parents care for their deeply sick child, then something is deeply wrong with our health system. Poking out from this story is another obvious problem. Where are the hospitals removing children from their parents when the Moonchausen mommy wants to mutilate the genitalia of her child for likes and clicks on social media? Where are the doctors who confess culpability in encouraging small children to take an unnecessary experimental vaccine? Don't hold your breath waiting on any of that. I won't. But what you can do is realize what we've known from the beginning. Claims to expertise are so flawed because humans are so flawed. If we wake up to the idea, then we might finally find the courage to be judgmental enough about the things that really matter before more Mayas and her mothers are created by a system that thinks it's God. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Did you know that you can support IndieThinker in all that we do and also benefit yourself by buying some great all-natural products from our Herbal Alchemy store? All you have to do is go to the description of this podcast where you can find a link or you can look on the screen now if you're watching and you can go to the link on the screen where you can buy Herbal Alchemy products that span a whole gamut of health and beauty necessities. Bar soap, facials, even Arise, a great energy supplement that will help you get your day started without coffee. And good news, everything at the store is 30% 
off for a limited time while supplies last. When you go to our store and you buy some great stuff for yourself, you'll do IndieThinker a great favor because some of the proceeds from your purchase will go directly back to us to help support the great work that we do here at the show. So make sure to check out the description or again, check out the link that was on the screen where you can go to our great herbal alchemy store and you can support the great work that's happening here at IndieThinker. All right, so I want to start the show off today with kind of a a story of hubris that goes beyond even the medical world as we started the show with today with the Take Care of Maya story, which, by the way, is a documentary that's now on Netflix. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. But as you might suspect, that kind of hubris extends far beyond the medical world and also into the sports world because there's a group of people who think that they um, that they invented something that's been around for a long time. Now, we've covered this on the show before, but Gen Z is all up in the habit of thinking that they created things that have been around for ages. Now, we've done that with the quiet walking thing. So Gen Z thinks that they invented walking without your phone. Um, and then there's also been kind of a, a TikTok craze of people calling the law of attraction manifestation. So they just put a new name on things, but it's really old ideas. Suffice to say, uh, the newest uh, evidence of this comes via a story directly out of the Michigan Wolverines. So it says this, the Wolverines are set to face number 10 Penn State on the road Saturday, a high stakes game they'll play without Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh on the sideline. Why, you might ask? Well, the Big Ten announced it was suspending Harbaugh for the remainder of the regular season on Friday, hours after he and the team arrived in Pennsylvania for the matchup. The conference leveled the punishment due to an in-person sign-stealing investigation surrounding former Michigan recruiting analyst Connor Stallions, who was fired last week. Michigan is being penalized for conducting an impermissible in-person scouting operation over multiple years, resulting in an unfair competitive advantage that compromised the integrity of competition, the conference said in a statement. So maybe you could gather what's taking place from the story I just told, but essentially a staff member from Michigan would go to uh, opponents' sidelines and then he would steal signs from those individuals that he could then use to uh, help Michigan win. So this guy was fired by Michigan, but uh, but also the coach was suspended for, I think, the re remainder of the season, but 10 games or so. Uh, and Harbaugh will no longer be with Michigan. Now, Michigan had something to say about this, and this is the real story at the end of the day because I really don't care too much about what happens with Michigan. Um, but some Michigan players who are no stranger to sanctions uh, had something to say online about this, and this is what they said. And I'll just show you one prominent former Michigan Wolverine, which is Tom Brady, who just tweeted the word bet. Now, if you are not keeping up with some of the inane ways in which modern society has redefined things that we used to say in the past, the word bet probably deserves some explanation. So what does Tom Brady mean by tweeting out bet? Well, the story goes on to tell us, for those who can't keep up with the youth, bet is often used colloquially to express agreement or confirmation. If someone were to offer you a ride home from school, you could say bet to take them up on their offer. At the same time, in response to someone questioning your ability to dunk a basketball, you could say bet on your way to proving them wrong. So in other words, essentially, it's just like saying you want to bet. So as you can tell, there's nothing new about this whatsoever, but this is the story at the end of the day. Not only that Gen Z continues to try to recreate things in real time in the present from the past, but also this idea that is kind of a cultural zeitgeist 
sure among Gen Z, but it, it but it expands way beyond that and goes far beyond just that generation. So let's not just pick on them. And the cultural zeitgeist is one of hubris. We are living in a deeply prideful society destined for destruction if we don't learn to have a little bit of humility. Now, perhaps another subtle problem with this idea of thinking you reinvented what's taking place in the present when it was already present in the past is that there might be a subtle implication there that we're ignoring things that are right in front of our face. In fact, there is no Christian under the sun who is unfamiliar with the term being judgmental, and it's deemed bad to be judgmental by our modern secular society. Um, but actually, it's really important to be judgmental. In fact, judgmental may just be another way of saying discerning. Now, if you mean by judgmental that we jump to conclusions, well, sure, we shouldn't do that. But if judgmental, as the word would actually kind of allude to, means using judgment, well, we need more of that or else we'll deceive ourselves into missing some pretty powerful lessons. And that brings us to our next story because I want to talk about how judgment might actually be beneficial to a society. So just this past week, there was an internet frenzy over a mom who jumped on her young son after a football game and straddled him. So the picture went viral and it garnered a lot of responses online. Some good, uh, some saying that the, the act was kind of negative. Now, I'll read the story to try to give you an idea of why this is important, but let's just say it's not necessarily important for the reasons that some were saying it's important. So the story says, the Utah mom who went viral for straddling her son after a high school football game appears to be embracing her internet fame, almost as if she was doing it to get attention. Oops, did it again, Amber Wright 38 captioned a recent Instagram post. In the photo, Wright is shown at a Halloween party with her legs wrapped around a male friend dressed in an NFL costume. At least it wasn't your son this time, one person wrote in the comments. Wright tells Today.com that she was poking fun at the backlash. I showed up as a referee. He happened to be a football player, she says. He and I thought it would be funny to take the opportunity to make a joke out of what the initial reel blew up to be. Wright found herself at the center of a debate in September after she posted a video of herself giving her 16-year-old son Brixton a celebratory hug. Now, some people said in the original post about her straddling her son in public that this was grooming behavior and she just sexually assaulted her son. Now, I think that that is absolutely ridiculous. That's just dumb. Uh, but you could argue that this is just the outrage mob again kind of flying off the handle at social media, but they might actually be discerning something for us here that's really super important. So they may be saying it the wrong way, but the message that they're trying to communicate actually may have some merit here. And I think it's one that we need to be incredibly judgmental about. And it's that simply kids need role models. So I took a moment to look at uh, this woman's social media feed and it probably wouldn't surprise you that um, let's just say promiscuity just scratches the surface of kind of who this woman is. And perhaps a lot of people were looking at her social media feed and her other pictures and thinking, gosh, this woman doesn't have any boundaries. And then when it comes to her son, she doesn't have any boundaries either. This is kind of sick behavior for a woman. Um, and that, that lesson, by the way, is not totally wrong. Now, some people will say, well, this is just simply judging. She's just 
being herself and she's trying to express herself on social media by exposing her breasts and then uh, jumping on her kid and straddling him. Now the real question is, are we jumping to conclusions or judging this woman unfairly when she does what she just did to her son? Is it pers perfectly acceptable for her to behave that way in front of her son? Well, a couple of things to know. Cultures have boundaries, and boundaries are actually a good thing. They keep things like criminals in place and allow consequences for criminals when they step out of line. So what we see here in terms of boundaries is a young woman who wants to treat her son like he is her best friend rather than that she is his mother. Because, you know, uh, in normal situations, a parent shouldn't straddle a child. So what we're seeing here is, yes, something playful. It's not grooming behavior, but what it is is immature behavior. And that's really the problem here at the end of the day. This is yet another instance of the way in which adults in the present act like children. It's another instance of prolonged adolescence, which I think is a bigger problem than we would give it credit for. Of course, I could show you the studies that show that um, 24 is the new 18 of old, but I don't know that those studies are really that authoritative, frankly, because you could use any criteria that you wanted to to kind of make it say what you want to. I'd rather ask you to just believe your lying eyes and ask the question, do you feel like adults today are what they used to be? Or more importantly, do you believe that the vast majority of single moms out there are mature enough to actually raise well-rounded, good, solid young men, especially without the help of a father in the home? But this is almost expected from a generation suffering from a desire for attention online and suffering from prolonged adolescence. Now, the response to this very often is when a Christian comes and says, hey, why is this mother straddling this child and acting this way and being as immature as she is being? Or even to my simply noticing the fact that um, a mother probably shouldn't be posting promiscuous photos online because that's an embarrassment to her son and it should be an embarrassment to her as a as a individual with intrinsic value. A lot of people will say to that, well, now you're just being judgmental. Uh, let me ask you a question. If being judgmental in this situation is so bad, would we judge her if instead of jumping up and straddling her son like the boy's girlfriend, uh, she, she, I don't know, maybe spanked him publicly? And that's what we had her taking pictures of. Do you think that there might be some backlash, especially from the left side of the aisle, about her spanking him publicly? So maybe it does matter if we judge. We just need to make sure we judge the right things. W wouldn't we say something like, well, that's incredibly out of order. Why is she spanking that boy in public? I mean, why did she put that on social media? That hardly seems like something that we should be exposing the public to. Oh, really? Well, now who's judgmental? So maybe it does matter if we judge. Maybe it does matter if we, quote unquote, shove our ideas down people's throats and harass them with a difference of opinion. If you're so fragile that you can't take a difference of opinion, well then maybe you probably shouldn't do the whole adulting things and have kids. On the other hand, if you are gonna become a good discerning and mature adult, maybe you should take to heart the critique of other people when they tell you you're not acting like one. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. 
A while back, a term in the modern church became very popular called relational evangelism. While it never hurts anyone to be relational, the problem with the idea came when people started to believe that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That often quoted Christian euphemism sounded right because Christians are supposed to be loving, right? It sounded like it was good because bedside manner sometimes helps uh, the squeaky wheels of evangelism, but it lacked one major thing, and that is that for thousands of years of Christian history, we had little info about the dining plans of the apostles of the church and the church fathers and martyrs. We simply know their words. While talk, I know, can be cheap, it's also a verb, it's an action. And it is an action that all Christians should engage in because when the church is silent, it creates problems. That's why when Christians speak up and they are willing to pay a price for whatever they say, we should honor them. And this just happened in Tyler, Texas. From the AP, we get a story about this. Pope Francis on Saturday ordered the removal of the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, a conservative prelate active on social media who has been f a fierce critic of the pontiff and has come to symbolize the polarization within the U.S. Catholic hierarchy. A one-line statement from the Vatican said Francis had relieved Bishop Joseph Strickland of the pastoral governance of Tyler and appointed the Bishop of Austin as the temporary administrator. Strickland, 65, has emerged as a leading critic of Francis, accusing him in a tweet earlier this year of undermining the deposit of faith. He has been particularly critical of Francis's recent meeting on the future of the Catholic Church, during which hot-button issues were discussed, including ways to better welcome LGBTQ plus Catholics. Aha! The death blow of any professional Catholic right now. Resist the Pope on the issues of the LGBTQ religion, and you are cruising for a bruising, as they say. Maybe a couple of things stick out to you as it did to me from this story. Maybe the glaring fact that the Bishop of Austin was put in the place of, of the Bishop of Tyler might give you an understanding of what the Pope is really about. You might as well have put Kate Bishop in as the Bishop because her last name is Bishop. I know most of you don't even know who she is, but um, fond memories because before I canceled Disney out of my life and out of the life of my kids, that was the last series that I watched, but don't worry, you're not missing anything. Point is, it seems pretty fair to say that the Bishop of the most liberal city in Texas is probably gonna come in and be pretty liberal in Tyler, Texas, but that could be what the Pope is really after at the end of the day. But let's also be fair, this new guy isn't just liberal, he's probably a coward as well, or else he would refuse to take Strickland's place. But the Pope has a long history at this point in time of doing these kind of things. Maybe you'll remember Frank Pavone, one of the most prominent pro-life voices in the Catholic Church, and he was defrocked by the Pope for placing an aborted fetus on the holy altar to issue a startling warning about the unholy nature of abortion. The Pope saw that and totally missed the point and apparently doesn't have any appetite for irony because as far as altars are concerned, the Pope, when asked about gay priests, said this, well, if they accept the Lord and have goodwill, who am I to judge them? Uh, well, you're the Pope and this is kind of your job to see who is qualified for priesthood. I mean, he didn't think Frank Pavone was, Odd, right? But gay men violating scripture and Catholic teaching, you know, as long as they're good people, you know, they accept the Lord, well then, let them do whatever they want, the little rascals. Quick note to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, if you ever thought about becoming a Catholic priest, now would be a great time to do that. In fact, if you're even a vacation Bible school student, you could probably get on that altar. 
The Pope is actively removing leaders, but um, only conservative ones. I think you get the point. If being a discerning truth-teller is being judgmental, then call everyone with a conscience judgmental. There's a huge difference between saying, this is who you are and what you're doing is wrong. This may be more than an obvious thing, but I don't think so, not today. Today, disagreement or difference of viewpoint is considered hateful, intolerant, and bigoted. Why? Because we have a society that does not know the difference between mutability and immutability. If you reject someone for something they cannot change, then you're hating on their creator. This is why the LGBTQ cult created the fictitious gay gene. Maybe you'll remember that. This is an implicit acknowledgement of the fact that certain things are mutable and those things should be judged. And then there are things that are immutable and those things shouldn't be judged. Anyway, all this brings us back to the idea of relational evangelism. The problem with people need to know how much you care before they care how much you know is that it places feelings before truth. That's just about the best postmodern take on ministry you can have. If a person doesn't feel good first, then they will never come to God? I mean, is that what we're trying to tell people? Moreover, there's a problem with that kind of response-based evangelism. You get a negative reaction as Jesus did when he preached, and that can be perceived as failure if feelings matter that much. Now, if salvation comes over multiple dinner dates with a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, I will rejoice with you. But please, let's also remember that the very new strategy for evangelism does not take away the time-tested need for plain truth-tellers on college campuses, boardrooms, and neighborhoods. I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm not talking about the guy who, when asked to pass the salt, says, not if you don't know Jesus. I'm simply saying discussions of an intellectual nature need no social lubricant. If we live in a serious society, that is. Maybe our desire to put stipulations on evangelism that never existed before now should cause some pause. Most importantly, maybe our desire to put our relationalness at the center of evangelism is yet another way that we've made the faith not only about other people but ourselves and about feelings. By pointing to ourselves too much as a means of salvation, we make it about us rather than the one who it's really about. And this last point, it could be that we are really pointing to ourselves and our relational ability because telling the truth is actually kind of difficult and communicating it in words takes a lot of forethought. I've tried to be very careful here, but relational evangelism is great, but it's also very slow. We need a mass movement of truth-telling as our society is headed in the wrong way and headed there very quickly. The soft soap approach, really endorsed by the seeker church, is a social lubricant of kinds, but it, if, it's, if we're not careful, it's a social lubricant that paves the way to damnation. And as a charitable person who has taken time to know where they stand on important issues and is willing to tell the truth, I can tell you, it isn't easy, but it is necessary. As, again, as much as I would like to say all of this just because I simply want a free pass to be a jerk, I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that the way we talk to others and tell the truth doesn't matter. I'm not saying that we tell the truth despite the person. I'm saying do it because of the person. Do it for the sake of the person. I'm simply saying that in a culture that rejects God and everything that has to do with him, the truth teller will very often be the bad guy. And you'll have to make a decision. Are you willing to be a good guy in the sight of God, even if it means you are seen as bad in the eyes of man? I hope you choose right, and I hope this show helps you in that endeavor. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.